0: Awards Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey,
1: folks, it's Matt Zachary, and welcome to Vax On, a weekly segment of my podcast, Out of patience, right here on the Script Network.
2: Hey, I'm Alura Nanos. I'm a lawyer, a journalist, a mom of a teenage narcoleptic, and a professional big mouth.
1: Lou and I go back 30 years as best friends, and we're here to have fun and bring you a layperson's guide to what the hell just happened this week in healthcare as America gets its vax on and shows COVID the door.
2: We're here together to learn, complain, and include you in the conversation.
1: So join us on Twitter at VaxOnPod and share your stories and grievances using the hashtag VaxOn. All right, Matt, let's get at it. Ilurinanos. Hi, Matt. We're back.
2: We're back. I'm so back that today
1: is day 10 post COVID. Well, you are back from many things. You're back from a hiatus we took, and yes. you're back from a hiatus you took.
2: I, I'm back from an unplanned hiatus due to severe COVID. It's still a thing. Matt, my time came. And I was being so smug about how I avoided it until now, and I'm not going to get it. And then, blammo I got it.
1: Fauci, last words.
2: So, you know, thank goodness for those vaccines, because um, if this was the mild version of COVID, then the non-vaccine version would have really sucked. Sure. I got, if my version of COVID was a restaurant, it would be Golden Corral, where it had every possible thing you could think of, and it all sucked.
1: You checked every box.
2: Every box. I had every cold symptom. I had every fever and flu symptom. I even had stomach virus symptoms. And then when I was done having all those symptoms and I thought I was better, then I got wacky acid reflux and heartburn for two days. That was so severe I almost went to the hospital.
1: Did you max out like 103.5 or something like the radio station?
2: I did not. My my fever wasn't super high. It was like 101, which like was horrible enough.
1: When your fever correlates to a radio station, you know it's then, getting worse.
2: Yes, but my whole family was just like, we were laid out. It was not good.
1: Like, Z100 is fine. 100.3. You know, 101.9 100. is, you know, 102.7, you're starting to die. 103.5, yeah. just go to the hospital. <laughs> 106.7 is, <laughs> you're if done. you get to
2: Light FM, you're yeah. fucked.
1: <laughs> 106.7. So, uh, you get
2: to Joe Cocker and you are fucked. You're so fucked. Um, so, yeah, it was a terrible week, but um, but you're better. thankfully I'm thankfully. back. And yeah, and now I'm doing the I'm doing the dance of like how many days and how many mask days and what my kids are back in school and like, la, 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 la.
1: Well, we're taping the show. I was listening to NPR this morning and we're coming up on one million American deaths and 350,000 were preventable through vaccinations.
2: So I have to just stop you there for one second. Right. And and let's just back the layer just a little bit because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to admit something. Right? Your
1: stat is different than mine, but I heard NPR.
2: Here, here's the thing. So as I was sick with COVID and as I was really annoyed that I was sick because I had been testing and I had been really careful. And of course, I got sick anyway. I don't even know how I got it and whatever. Um, I, I kept having these pockets of time where I needed a place to direct my frustration and anger.
1: Um, and and his name was and- Eric. Eric.
2: <laughs> I tried not to direct my husband was conveniently under covers for four days. So I couldn't direct it at okay. him. And as my my me, my husband, and my daughter were all in three separate rooms in the house, sealed in so that no one came across paths with my poor son. Um, I, I really was thinking though, like, am I gonna get annoyed with specifically the anti-vaxxers? Like, does that even make any sense? You know, I'm at least kind of um self-aware enough to know that while I might have the emotion that I'm super pissed off at anti-vaxxers, that it might not be rational. It might just be like, I feel that way, but it's not actually connected to reality. And then today I saw this study and I was like, wow, I'm not the only person that went there. Like, Could we have done better and what would have made a difference and how much of a difference would it have made? Because I think I've heard a lot of people being sort of defeatist about the, the the statistics saying, oh, like, well, it doesn't matter. I'm going to get COVID anyway. Everybody gets it anyway. Um, and then I saw this and it sounds like it's the same or at least a similar study to the one you saw. And and I, I feel like it's worth at least discussing it a
1: little bit. So I'm, I'm of the ilk because okay. we are all of some sort of ilk, perhaps. That, yes, you can say that this many people who weren't vaccinated would have lived. But they're talking about, I think they're talking about 2021 post-vaccination, correct? We're not talking 2020 pre-vaccination.
2: Yeah, I, they're talking about preventable deaths, not like in a hypothetical world had the vaccine been invented earlier. They're talking about actual, like realistically preventable deaths. So, and and it was interesting to me how they went through this. And, and the study was- um, from january 2021 until april 2022 so it was well after vaccines um hit the market were available right you know it was interesting one of the authors of the study uh stephanie friedoff said the vaccine rollout has been both a remarkable success and a remarkable failure and you know that uh, that really captured it for me which is like it's amazing that we got this off the ground we got all these people vaccinated that's amazing and at the same time it's equally amazing how there's like all these people that refused to do it and it became so political. So I mean and it, it was just you know that that was meaningful to me. And then I looked at the study and it, and we used the way that they that they calculated is that they u- using Kentucky as an example, they said they took the the day that the most uh, adults in K- Kentucky were vaccinated and then they kind of projected as if the same amount of people were vaccinated, Through the peak until everyone became vaccinated. And so right now, only 67% of the adults in Kentucky are vaccinated. They projected as if everyone became vaccinated.
1: And they calculated that
2: 7,000 deaths could have been
1: avoided. Wait, 7,000 of the 12,000 could have been avoided?
2: Yes, 7,000 of the 12,000. So in other words, they're not saying every single person who died would have been saved had everyone gotten vaccinated. It sounds like what they're doing is they're looking into the exact circumstances of the deaths and taking, you know, certain health factors into account and saying, which of these really could have been avoidable. And it's an awful lot, right? Like it's, it's more than half. half. Yeah. Really sad. I looked up my own state, um, you know, it said New Jersey had 5,500 preventable deaths. Now, let me say this, even if they're wildly off, right even if it's not 5500 even if it's 500 they're off by you know 90% 500 people is a lot of people
1: i i i it bothers me for the obvious reasons that this is this should not be a thing but it also bothers me that the families of these people who died we don't know if any of this changed their behavior or not if they were of the same ilk of the human being who didn't want to get vaccinated in the first place.
2: Yeah. And I, I think that, um, you know, kind of psychologically all of those statistics and facts are interesting, sometimes frustrating because I know personally, I have, uh, I have some friends who one person ended up in the hospital and that person was vehemently anti-vaccine. The person went to the hospital, um, was pretty sick with COVID and that, and a brief hospital stay completely changed his attitude, came back, said, I I really need to get vaccinated now. I, I want my kids vaccinated and, and was like converted. Um, and, and while I was so happy to see that, I, I also thought it was kind of an interesting psychological phenomenon. Like, what did you think the rest of us were doing? Right. And, and why did you not think that it applied to you? Um, and then there's other people who got very sick, went to the hospital, came out of the hospital and said, oh, well, now I definitely don't need to be vaccinated because I survived and so I'm fine.
1: Right. Also not okay.
2: I, I mean, it you know, I almost feel like it's not even for me to say that it's not okay. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And, um, you know, I mean, if that's the way your brain works, that's the way your brain works and I can't necessarily fix it. But, um, you know, it's just interesting what happens to people as we continue to live through this major crisis. Um, you know, people, their their emotional makeup and their own personal history and um and all of it coalesce to create whatever version of reality they find themselves
1: living in. I mean, you shouldn't have to face death to find vaccine Jesus.
2: <laughs> I just, you know, to me, it just wasn't that difficult. We've had vaccines for a long time, lots of different vaccines. I know scientists. I know people in the medical community. I trust them on a variety of things, not just on COVID. I listened to them. It made sense. So I got the vaccine. It wasn't It, it wasn't like a, it didn't require any kind of a personal reckoning. But I realize not everyone is has the ability to process information the same way I do. Um, and not everyone is bringing the same level of trust in science and academia and knowledge to the table that I am.
1: My natural uh, curiosity here is of the people that are still hesitant to get the vaccine after all these years and over what three and a half, four billion humans vaccinated around the planet. What's your hesitation? Is it you're just standing tall on some ridiculous thing that makes no sense? Are you like still waiting for the science? I think that peer pressure and this. Let me say this.
2: This is just my own opinion. It's not based on any kind of evidence or studies or anything. But I think that that people respond in many ways to the peer pressure of their immediate circle. So I think if you socialize regularly with friends and family who are uh, anti-vaxxers or who are aligned with this kind of hyper-conservative movement or whatever it is, um, it, it's almost like many of these people just even if they want to become vaccinated, they, they can't deal with what the fallout would look like because it would seem like they're giving in to some side that their friends and family disagree with or don't like. And I can see that being a really big barrier. You know, like if you know that you're going to take this medical step and as a result, the people in your life are now going to not like you or not like that decision, I could see it being a really serious barrier.
1: I think we talked about maybe a year ago when the show first got started, that they were people getting secretly vaccinated without telling their friends or family because it would have like destroyed their yeah. relationship.
2: Yeah, I feel like go do that. Go do it secretly. Just right. like just like all of the. There are so many people who vote secretly. Um, particularly, there's a lot of women who vote secretly. They tell their husbands that they either haven't voted or have voted a different way. Um, and I mean, there's a long history of people doing that and I think it's very unfortunate, but at the same time, if that's your option, like take the option, man, you know, like nobody has to know what's going on. Nobody has to see your vaccine card. So if you believe that this is the right choice for you, go and do it and don't let other people's expectations stand in your way. Because when you're in the hospital, um, you know, that's not going to help you. Their expectations and their demands and their absurd politicization is not going to help you.
1: So before we get to our second segment, uh, I'd just like to take a moment of silence here on the show for the million Americans who've died from COVID. What's next?
2: Matt, I have this story that I feel like it is my civic duty to bring to you and to everyone here at Facts It's not really a COVID story, but I just feel like I need to shout about this story from the rooftops.
1: So it's a healthcare fuckery story.
2: It, it, is, a, it is a general fuckery story with a, a twist of healthcare.
1: <laughs> oh, a twist of healthcare. Okay, bartender, mix it up.
2: So in today's chapter of every fucking thing is political, even things that are not political, I bring you the baby formula shortage.
1: That's right. That's right. Which I learned today is not really supply chain. I learned that They produce the minimally viable number of products around the country so as not to have leftover loss of product. So when there's a crisis, they're not equipped to fill the gap because they don't make too much. Because if they made too much, there'd be spoilage because there's not enough demand for it.
2: Right, right. So you know, part of the baby formula business is to not overproduce because it can't stay on the shelves forever. Mm-hmm. So there was a problem because there was some contaminated baby formula at uh, the Abbott plant in Michigan and the, that's why there's the shortage because there was a problem with the supply and now the company is um you know trying to to manufacture enough, but in the meantime there's you know this big shortage. Now it's not a COVID supply chain shortage, but let me just say this. I'm sure it's not helping. Right. I'm sure all of the COVID supply chains and labor shortage and all that shit. I'm sure it's not helping. Agreed. Before we even go further, I just want to just pipe in and say, really? In 2022, we don't have the ability to hurry up and make extra baby formula. I I just can't even believe that. But isn't it there's only like four companies that make it. I, I realize that. But but like we don't have the technology to just like hurry up and make get more machines. I mean Again, with the fidget spinners, fidget spinners became a trend in three days. They were on every fucking street corner. I cannot believe that we're talking about the baby formula shortage for more than like five minutes. Right. I I just can't believe it. But but that said, we are talking about it. And of course, you know, as as we would expect, because this is 2022 America, conservatives and Republicans are blaming it on the Biden administration. (laughs) Why not? And they're. Right, because obviously Joe Biden is in charge of making baby formula. And of course they're saying that it's because of illegal immigration. What? I know it's hurting my brain. But but I thought that because this is becoming rhetoric that's out there – and because baby formula is one of those things that, like most of us, don't really know how that business works, I thought I would actually delve into what the actual situation is here with the baby formula and the Biden administration and immigrants and baby immigrants. Go forth. So I don't know if you saw that that uh, Congresswoman from New York, Elise Stefanik, who is like she's one of those purveyors of misinformation all the time. Not a fan. Um, and a, not a fan. And Texas Governor Gre- Greg Abbott, also not a fan. They're not running fan. their mouths. Yep. Also not a fan. They are running their mouths in all the usual ways, um, asking the press secretary, Jen Psaki, like, why is Joe Biden sending baby formula to the southern border when there's not enough baby formula here for American babies? And it's like one of those things that sounds bad. Like, if you didn't know, you might be like, hey, like, yeah, we're having a baby formula shortage. Why is the administration doing that? Are they doing it? So a colleague of mine from Law and Crime, his name is Aaron Keller. He wrote this wonderful article called Supreme Court Conservatives Laid the Groundwork for Giving Government Formula to Immigrant Babies at the Border. It's a really interesting story. And it is true, Matt, that baby formula is sometimes sent to the southern border.
1: Okay. And the problem is?
2: Well, let's talk about why that's the case. So here's the sitch. In the early 90s, there was a lawsuit that got all the way to the Supreme Court. The lawsuit was called Reno versus Flores, and it's a big immigration case. And the case was about what do we do about juveniles that are detained by INS? Do they keep them in detention? Do they release them into the population? Like, what do we do with children? And um, this was something that at the time in the early 90s affected 8,500 people a year, 8,500 unaccompanied minors at the border a year because- if we're talking about families where there are parents that illegally came into the US and they're awaiting either deportation hearings or something like that, and there are kids with them, then the kids just stay with them. And that's not really a big issue. But the issue is, what if it's the kids and there are no parents around? What do you do with the children then? And so this lawsuit goes up to the Supreme Court. And and the Supreme Court was very conservative at the time. And the court ruled seven to two that there was no right of the juveniles to be let out of detention, that they had no kind of like constitutional right to be let into society awaiting deportation proceedings. Justice Scalia wrote the opinion and the whole thing was like, listen, we got to keep the kids in detention. However, the entire decision was predicated on knowing that when children, when immigrant children are detained by US authorities, that they are in decent and humane facilities. So in other words, the whole question was based on, do we let these kids out to just be in the world or do we need to keep them in detention? And when the answer was, no, we have to keep them in detention or, or we can keep them in detention, the entire assumption that the entire thing was based on was, but the detention facilities are safe. They're humane. Everyone is fed. Everyone is is uh, appropriately clothed and sheltered. And that was like a given, like nobody even complained or even said that it wasn't, you know, they weren't humane. It was just kind of like it had, it had, it was taken for granted that the conditions were safe conditions. After the ruling the federal government got into a settlement agreement. And in that settlement agreement, it specifically agreed that detained children have to be kept in safe and sanitary facilities with toilets and sinks, drinking water and food, medical assistance, temperature control, supervision, contact with family members, among other things. So in other words, the federal government specifically agreed to the conditions that they would provide these children who were in detention. The federal government has to do it. It agreed that it would do it. It has to do this. Providing baby formula is part of that agreement. Although it doesn't say the words baby formula, they're saying we're going to provide these children adequate food, shelter, clothing, housing, all that. Sounds perfectly fair. It's it's not only fair, it's, it's humane, it's moral, and legally the government has absolutely zero leeway. They already agreed to this. In 1992, based on a conservative Supreme Court decision, authored by Antonin Scalia.
1: Wait, all right, so let me fast forward here. Let me guess. They want to stop giving baby formula to these people, and then Saki's like, nope, we got to do it. Pretty much. Okay. And, and
2: the thing is, you know, it's not even that 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 conservatives are advocating to stop. They're making it sound like it was some kind of new decision that originated with Joe Biden that is somehow discretionary, which it is not. So Jen Psaki was clear. She said, it's morally the right thing to do. Every administration since 1997 has done it. It's the law. And by the way, we think it's the morally right thing to do. So we support doing it. So uh, the reason why this bothered me so much is because it's one of those things that starts with a kernel of truth. There is indeed a baby formula shortage. And we are indeed sending baby formula to the Southern border. But why we're doing that whether we should continue doing it and how it came about that we're doing it are all the things that are conveniently, uh, you know, misstated or not stated or ignored when someone wants to create outrage over how unfair it is that the federal government's doing that. So I just wanted to kind of step in and say, these are the real facts. This is what's happening. We certainly hope the baby formula shortage ends soon. Um, but yeah, that that's kind of how it how it all came about. Um, And while we're talking about baby formula, I just wanted to give a shout out to my friend Keiko Zoll, who created an organization called Free Formula Exchange. Check them out online. She immediately saw this need, created an amazing place for families to share baby formula that they have, exchange it with someone who needs it. So check out Free Formula Exchange online.
0: Carvana, where car buying meets
2: comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today.
1: All right, what's next? What's last? What's up? I don't know. Tell me. So I
2: have kind of what sounds like not the best news about the federal government since we're talking about the federal government. This doesn't sound good. Uh, I saw today that um, the White House has warned that it might not have enough money to buy the next round of COVID vaccines.
1: So that means that we'll be paying for it?
2: I mean, I don't know who the we is. I'm assuming my health insurance will pay for it.
1: Yeah, but then all premiums are going up.
2: I guess. This doesn't sound like a good thing at all. But I suppose we can't really expect the federal government to just, like, forever pay for the COVID vaccine. They don't pay for the flu vaccine, do they?
1: No, they don't. I believe Well, I think, like, there's, I think it's free at CVS, but they pick up the cost because it's so cheap.
2: Yeah, I don't I don't think the federal government is picking up the cost, although I'm sure there's some kind of like incentives for CVS to pay for it. I, I don't understand this because I'll say this, you know, I, I am a fan of the Biden administration, um, but I don't really understand why the federal government isn't paying for this. Shouldn't this be like item one on the list of shit that the government's in charge of funding? Why
1: don't you tell your friend with the baby formula Airbnb to make a covid needle exchange Airbnb?
2: Like a a GoFundMe? Like, isn't there some shit that the government can stop funding and just put that money toward the COVID vaccines? Like, don't they have, like, the federal tickling squirrels program that they can? (laughs) (laughs) I remember that was the thing one time.
1: Oh, speaking of which, as of this recording today, we got news this morning that the booster shots have now been approved for, I think it's the 5 to 11 or 5 to 12 group of children. But that's the, the first booster, right? So first like shot First booster, three. yes.
2: Okay. You know what? Let me say this about Mr. Booster Shot. So on the day that I was most contagious, despite testing negative 5,000 times, yep. but on the day that I know I was most contagious, I was in an enclosed space in a car for a lengthy period of time with a friend who has a bunch of underlying health conditions. And I was so worried that I had gotten her sick, but she had gotten the second booster shot. And she is the only person in my immediate orbit who did not get sick. So So, you're saying
1: it works.
2: I mean, it's anecdotal, right? And I don't know why it worked, but I can say that there it is. Everyone I was around on the day that I was most contagious, everyone except my son got covid Except
1: this one friend who who was double boosted. So let me read from this article here. The official who spoke on condition of anonymity—that always is fantastic. Warned yeah, that
2: always bodes well. No,
1: yeah. Warned that the U.S. faces a substantial surge of COVID infections this fall as immunity from the current vaccines wanes. And the Omicron, are we still in Omicron? We haven't moved past Omicron.
2: Yeah, because it's BB-8. It's, it's BB-8, Omicron, BB-8. Okay. Mutates
1: right. into BB-9, or C-3PO, or R2-D2, whatever the next one's going to be. I
2: don't understand why it's not Omicron anymore. Why isn't it the next Greek letter?
1: Um, I don't know. Maybe we <laughs> stopped trying to educate the people on history.
2: They're like, fuck it, it's Omicron forever now. It's just we stopped at Omicron, that's what you're getting forever. I really feel like they should get the variant people together with the hurricane people. <laughs> I want to know. And if they, could, if they could combine the variant people, the hurricane people, and the nail polish people, like the people who get to name everything, I want, I want to see those people in charge. Really, the nail polish people have cornered the market on crazy names for things.
1: No, but then you involve the ad agencies that name the drugs.
2: No, th- those people have no credibility because they're naming things like, you know, talts, like, <laughs> like terrible sounding names.
1: No, it'd be like just deathloxianab. Yes. <laughs> Side effects may include death.
2: I, I feel like um this is one of those topics that I'm going to deal with it when when it becomes a problem in my whole life. Like I'm not – I can't get outraged about it yet because it hasn't happened yet. And I feel like I'm going to put my faith in that they'll figure something out with the vaccines.
1: Well, they kind of have to. It's like public safety. I
2: mean it's like their number one job as a government is to protect public health and safety. So whatever the fuck else they're doing this year, they cannot do it and m- just make the vaccines instead.
1: Uh, anyway. Um, what have we not checked in on in a while?
2: We haven't checked in a while. What are you watching on TV these days?
1: Um, I've been told as of today that there's a movie out called everything Everywhere all at once. and it is I like, love the name of it. I love those superlatives. It's like the movie you have to see and I'm it's only in theaters, which is fine. Oh, it's a new movie in the theaters? New movie in theaters. It's been – apparently it's only been out a little while, but everyone's talking about it. Oh. And it's kind of like a multiverse, sci-fi, weird – I don't know. Andrew was trying to explain it to me. He loves it. He wants to that see it again with me. It. I hate sci-fi. Will I like it? Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I,
2: I. But I, I hate sci-fi, but I love time travel. Yeah, so, I have if, to
1: see it, this movie. And I don't Are, know but it has a healthcare it. component to it. But apparently in the future, we're all alive, doing weird okay. things. Are we all wearing
2: gray? I feel like every movie about the future, it's like everyone is wearing the same color.
1: You know who's in it? Who? The kid that played uh, Short Round in Temple of Doom, the little Asian-American kid. He was in Goonies also. He's all grown up. And apparently he is like Oscar-worthy performance in this Oh, movie.
2: well, then maybe I should see it.
1: Yes, that alone.
2: So I have been... Binging Yellowstone. Are you aware of this show?
1: I know nothing of what you speak.
2: So Yellowstone is a series that's like already four or five seasons into it. Um, and Kevin Costner plays like this cowboy type in Montana. You had and me at like like Kevin Costner. These, I you know he's great in it. And it's all these cowboys. And um, it's so funny because it's not funny at all. It's like this incredibly grim show. And it's basically like organized crime, but conducted by cowboys who are livestock agents in rural montana which is like the most beautiful state i've ever seen in my life and the whole show is just like look at how tough these guys are and look at the horses and look at how tough everybody is and i don't it's it's a very amusing uh diversion from life especially with covid because these are like rugged men on the plains and they don't give a shit about sickness or anything else they only care about horses and rodeoing
1: so that's what this segment is it's called your diversion from covid
2: So let's wrap up. We I feel like we've covered quite a gamut today.
1: We really have. Right? Well, just to take us out, I want to take this moment to remind any listeners, probably in their 40s or older, that it is the 40th anniversary of E.T. and Poltergeist this weekend. I
2: thought you were going to make a public service announcement about something like deep and meaningful. Nope, and you totally it. just threw me off.
1: Like, Aging a- gracefully in our 40s. Thank you, you Henry Thomas.
2: Poltergeist and what else? E.T.
1: and Poltergeist, 40 years old.
2: Two movies that scared the shit out of me as a child.
1: Yep. For all the right and wrong reasons.
2: For all of the right and wrong reasons. Um, Yeah. So, okay. That sounds good. We watched The Outsiders this weekend with my daughter. She liked that a lot.
1: That's a good one, too.
2: It is a good one.
1: So that concludes our COVID diversion segment (laughs) for the week.
2: I hope everybody finds a lovely show that they too can binge and completely escape from reality. Yes. Hit us up on online with your favorite shows that um, Matt and I should watch. Expand Matt's Horizons, past stuff that came
1: out in the 1980s. Yes. Any movie that I haven't watched, you'll win a dollar.
2: <laughs> and my rules are no space, no war, and no sci-fi. But anything prison is always appreciated.
1: Okay. Shawshank Redemption <laughs> it is.
2: Yes, Exactly.
1: All right. On that note, folks, have a wonderful week and we will see you back here next time.
2: See you next time, everybody. Thanks for listening.
1: That's all for now. If you like Facts On, be sure to subscribe, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, follow us on social and tell all your friends to listen. Tell us your shit show of a healthcare story by leaving a message for
2: us at 855-AUDIO-66 and we might just use it in a future show. VaxOn is a product of Offscript Health. We are a healthcare engagement company built for patients and caregivers by patients and caregivers. Our executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. Our senior producer is Brianna Seeley. Our hosts are Matthew Zachary and Allura Nanos. It is recorded, mixed, and edited by Brianna Seely. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscriptnot.com. That's media at offscript.com. For more information, visit offscript.com.